0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Our old friend Brian Zahn is on the line. Welcome back to the show, Brian.
1: Hello, Luke.
0: Now, Brian, we need to jump right into the very important things. I, you're a great pastor. Love listening to your sermons. You've written a bunch of good stuff been a guest multiple times, done a great job. But the real important thing we've got to jump to right away, first and foremost, is I heard a rumor that Eminem grew up on the
1: steps of the church. Is that true or false? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say grew up on the steps of the church, but um, Eminem, Marshall Mathers, of hip-hop rap fame, um, is from St. Joe as much as he's from anywhere. Um, No, he, he, He kind of bounced Back and forth, and ended up in Detroit in his later teen years. But younger years, younger teens, he was in the little town that I grew up in, Savannah, and also in St. Joe. Uh, he dated our league guitar player's wife. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, they were a little boyfriend girlfriend in middle school, and uh, he would all he was right there, and he lived for a while right there when he first started the church on 11th Street, 11th and Sycamore, and he was. In that neighborhood, and we kind of went from there. I and to to tell you the truth, because I'm just really, I was out of the hip hop world. I mean, out of the hip. I mean, I'm just out of it. I didn't know that world. You never were in the world, uh, yeah. No, and we and we were flying out of the little FBO, private airstrip, Saint Joe, and we were there in the FBO, and there's just like five or six people in there. And so I said, "Do you know who that is? Do you know who that is?" No. I said, I don't know who that is. That's Eminem. I said, I, I don't know who Eminem is. But then I uh, then I find out, well yeah, that's he used to hang around with us. And uh, he'd he'd come back to St. Joe, that's where he got married. And then they just tore the the, the middle school where right? I went to school and, and Marcel Mathers went to school there. They tore it down a couple of years ago and he brought his entourage up and they were all touring through the school and all so he has a lot of connections. I mean, if you're gonna be a you know, a rapper it's a you, Detroit sounds a lot cooler than St. Joseph, Missouri. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, and he, yeah. he did move there, you know, in his later teen years. But, yeah. So, so anyway, yeah. and it's... his grandma, his grandma came to our. His grandma was always saying to me, uh, "I Marshall, say what? What do you want, Grandma? I can get you anything." And she'd say, "I just want you to come to church with me." <laughs> as far as I know, oh. he's not been. But. Uh, so he hasn't
0: been. Not. But so you far. knew you knew of Marshall as a kid, right. Growing up, yeah. That is crazy. So, do you think you can get tickets?
1: Um, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this I doubt it.
1: This is crazy because I don't and, know. Unless I work with grandma a little bit, maybe maybe through his grandma. Who knows?
0: Yeah, ask his grandma because if anyone knows you, they know you're a big music fan. They can't hear you, um, uh, you know, follow you on Twitter or you know listen. I mean, your your new book even has a playlist suggested or a playlist in the back of it. So you're a huge music guy, and the fact that. Uh, yeah, Eminem, he didn't know that he was this kid who grew up in the area at first. That's crazy to me. That's right. my book. That is crazy. Yeah. Now, you might not realize this, but you even have a line in your book that is the title of, I think, his newest album, his most recent album is entitled Road to Recovery, and you have that line in your book. Did you do that as an yeah. homage to oh. Eminem?
1: Yeah, I didn't know that.
0: Well, <clears throat> there you go.
1: Yeah. So
0: you you saw him recently – I guess he hasn't come to church. Do you think uh, Do you think if you let him maybe lead a song or two that you could get him back? Yeah, I
1: mean, that would be a risky move, but I would do it. Sure, why not?
0: That is so nice of you. Okay, so your new book, Water to Wine, which has the homage to Eminem in it, came out just a couple weeks ago, a week ago or something like that. And uh, so the book, it came in the mail last night to me. And it's a story of a pastor who goes through a major, like, theological change. And they have a – like, you go through this major experience, which is crazy that you do that while you're a pastor. And since I know that you're a big music fan, it reminded me of a conversation I had with uh, a guy named Zach Lind, who was the drummer for the band Jimmy Eat World, uh, a rock band. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Do you know Jimmy Eat World? Um, Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. I, I do. Well, anyway, so so Zach um, and I was—I know I, was,
1: I know he's watched my Monster God debate uh, that I did with Michael Brown a year and a half or so ago.
0: Oh yeah, I mean Zach—he's a—he's a well-read guy. He's—he's he's a big fan of theology, and so it doesn't surprise me at all. But you know, Zach talked about what's it, it like as a musician, who's you know his band's Jimmy World has had like a twenty-year uh, career and you you morph and you evolve as a musician and it's tough because your fans don't always morph and evolve with you as a musician. Now, as a pastor, I feel like that's amplified even more because, you know, people go to you as their, you know, source of theology and that's one thing people typically don't expect to change, right? Right. There's a lot in the book about how people were not excited. Uh, Some thought you were a backslider. They wanted the old Brian back.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. That and the fact that you've been there for almost, it'll be 35 years this year, uh, is amazing that you've gone through this major cataclysmic change and you're still a part of the same church. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So are there a lot of people who have stayed the entire time with you? There's a lot
1: of people that have stayed. There's a lot of people that have left. Yeah. And so um, the reality Luke, is that You know, you press on, you get excited about new people, but, you know, um, first of all, Word of Life Church is in a city of about 70,000 people. So what does that mean? That means if I go to the grocery store, I see former church members... (laughs) Yeah. And if you, I'll see him on the cereal aisle, the soup aisle, the produce aisle, the frozen pizza aisle, you know, <laughs> and I can joke about it, but there is pain there. And it's part of the reason, it's not the only reason, but it's part of the reason that I wrote the book. Um, because my theological journey, moving away from what I would call consumer Christianity, cotton candy Christianity, easy, cheesy cotton candy Christianity, mm-hmm. grape juice Christianity, um, into a more robust, substantive faith. Because I want to make clear, that's, that's, that was my transition. Uh, not becoming a liberal, not... And if anything, if anything, because much of my... Transition involved embracing the great can, the great tradition that which the church has always confessed and believed and practiced. Mm-hmm. If anything, that's a true conservative move. But uh, in the world of uh, religious right Americanized Christianity, it's not often identified as such. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, having done that from a fairly public posture. Uh, Causes other pastors to be aware of me, who may be going through the same thing or contemplating the same thing, or they are growing, developing, transitioning in their own theology, but they're nervous about, you know, how public they can be, so they reach out to me. They can contact me on Twitter, Facebook, or something like that. Look, I get these requests, or, you know, would you talk to me? Uh, Can I call you? Can I come see you? You know, I live in I live in Maine, but I'll come see you. I get these almost every day. I got one today from a pastor in San Diego that just desperately wants to talk to me. And so um, I wrote Water to Wine for those people, for those people that have found my uh, journey encouraging and maybe hopeful and helpful, and want to know. You know what direction I'm going to give. Well, that book, this book is for them, but it's also a bit of my uh, hopefully humble yet robust defense to my critics because I I do want to say something to my critics that say, oh, you know, you just you just backslid me, you just lost your faith, you just became emergent, and they use that in the most you know pejorative of ways. I said, well, here's really what happened. Here's my story. If you if you wouldn't mind, take a little time and and hear me out. So that's. That's who I wrote the book for. Somewhat for my detractors as my apologia, my defense, but also for those that are looking to me for maybe some kind of hopeful and helpful guidance. That's that's yeah. who the book's written for. So the book is, you know, I mean, it, it's got plenty of what you might call, for lack of a better word, teaching. It's pedagogical yeah. in that way, you know. Yeah. But but it's also um, at least it's at least half memoir and telling my own story. So it's. It's, it's me trying to translate great tradition theology into vernacular that would be familiar to American evangelicals, charismatics, uh, but in the context of my own story, which I think is, is at least possibly interesting to some people. Yeah, well, what's, I was, what's going on with that book?
0: I found the book to be interesting, and I think you did a nice mixture of Autobiographical, along with what you'd call teaching or pedagogical stuff, where there definitely is a lot of substance to it, and you're defining why you would say, um, or how you would describe the mass-produced soda-like uh, Christianity of North America, and and a, a better, more fulfilling, uh, life-giving substance that you're moving more towards. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any way someone could have gone. As much uh, through as much of a change if they weren't the founding pastor of the church that they were serving. You started this oh, church when no like 22, is that right?
1: Yeah, I um, I look back on that and see that as kind of crazy. But, you know, we live our lives as we live them, and sometimes we play the hand that's dealt with. And uh, I had a very genuine, dramatic encounter with Jesus when I was 15. I was kind of a high school Led Zeppelin freak, you know, long hair, <laughs> just belonged to that kind of world, you know, yeah. you know, the, that oh, yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I was. I was, I was the school Zeppelin freak. And overnight, overnight, I mean, it was Damascus Road kind of stuff. What was the experience? I turned into the school Jesus freak. How did that happen? Uh, I, I, I grew up in church, but somehow, I, I heard the gospel. Actually, I was at a David Wilkerson youth rally, of all things. It was a David Wilkerson youth rally, and it suddenly clicked that Jesus actually was alive and was Lord. And I came home that night, and I walked into my bedroom at about midnight, and I had a mystical encounter with Christ. Hmm. The room seemed to fill with this bright light, and I fell to my knees, and I mean, it, it sounds pretty sensational when I tell it, so I try not to over sensationalize it, but, but that's what happened. It was, a, it was a mystical encounter with Christ at the age of 15 that turned me overnight into the school Jesus freak, mm-hmm. and my nickname was Fry. Everybody called me Fry back then. called me Fry. Brian. They, they called me Fry. I don't know. It, it's I, I got it in fourth grade from Richard Flanagan. And oh, no, Richard. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. I, I think it had something to do with my temper. I would fry. <laughs> I, I was a hothead and gotten lots of fights and stuff like that. Okay. Even as a fourth grader. But nice. everybody knew me as Fry. Nice. And so people would say to me, they'd say, you know, after a few weeks had gone by of all this, you know, carrying my Bible to high school business. <laughs> and they would say, Fry, man, I can't believe what's happened to you. And I would say, I can't either. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't expect this to happen, but it did. All right. Yeah. And so, by the time I was seventeen, I was leading a ministry called the Catacombs. Yep. It was we called it the Christian Coffee House back in the day. It was basically a Christian music thing, mm-hmm. that had some teaching. But mainly, we would bring in like you know, uh, Keith Green, Phil Cagie, Paul Clark, Second Chapter backs. You know, all these Jesus Movement era musicians. Uh, but I was functioning essentially as a pastor by the time I was 17, which I know is madness. I know it's crazy, but it, it still happened. So yeah. I tell people, look, I've been a pastor longer than I've been an adult. <laughs> and this is true. <laughs> and by the time I was 22, I was, you know, full time pastor of this thing, Word of Life Church. I mean, I've only cool. been in one church all my life. I mean, from my conversion. And people will ask me. Guys will say, "You know, well, I'm getting ready to plan a church. I want your advice." I said, "Look, I've done it once in my life, and more or less by accident, <laughs> Cause I don't know anything about planning a church." Because didn't Word of I, Life,
0: in some ways, kind of boil out of uh, catacombs? That that thing you started when? Yeah, you, yeah. When it you're just of- it
1: really just sort of morphed from this uh, Christian coffee house thing into one day we were now in our early 20s, most of us, and we realized we were we were essentially uh, relating to this as our church, and so we decided to make the leap, and, and I was the pastor, and off we went. And, and um, so I started off as Jesus Movement. That's my roots. Yeah. And that that sort of funneled me into the charismatic renewal, which I found a lot of life in mm-hmm. until it became weird. But, it, but at first, it was just a, a genuine... Holy Spirit Renewal Movement, Um, but that then sort of led me into Word of Faith. I mean, it didn't make a decision. You know, you don't go from Jesus people to Word of Faith overnight, but it just sort of, I I don't know, I just, my path seemed to take me in that direction, Mm -hmm. and so then I was in, you know, kind of Word of Faith world, and that sort of just... Fit in nicely. It just, it just one day, it just merged. You know, sometimes you're just driving on the highway, you've you, you merged you onto merged, something else, yeah. and, and I merged on. In, I was in religious right, and so here I was in my early 40s, uh, religious right, word of faith guy, and I just thought, what in the world? Yeah, this is not who I am. How, how did I get here? Yeah, and and in desperation, I began. I just sort of said, well, I've got, I got to go back to the beginning. And I knew that I, that couldn't mean just reading the Bible, although I've always been a serious student of Scripture. But I but I had enough sense to know, look, I'm, I know I'm going to read the Bible through my own lenses. I've always been reading the Bible. So I'm going to go back to the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation of those that helped form the faith following the resurrection. So I'm talking about the Church Fathers. Mm-hmm. And so I just started with Polycarp because he's about the earliest one he doesn't have much I have a couple of epistles, and I just started studying the church fathers and uh and that began to transform that began to change me finally then I go on this 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 kind of this epic fast for twenty two days didn't need anything and um uh, I, I talk about it in the book yeah you and that seemed that seemed a launched me into a different place. I tell people I felt like I was put in a cannon and just shot into a new world, which was very strange to me. But I somehow knew intuitively that I had left that world of consumer Christianity, mm-hmm. of a, a of a religious right, you know, nicely entangled with Republican conservative politics, word of faith, which is basically had reached the point where it was simply affirming America's materialistic and consumerist values, mm-hmm. and I just somehow was launched out of that world, but but I didn't know where I was, mm-hmm. and I had to start uh, relocating myself in the faith, and uh, I did that through very, very intense, serious reading of what I would now identify as our most important theological contributions over the long history of the Church. Yeah. And it transformed me. Yeah. So... And, and on, on the one hand, I was more excited than I've ever I mean, I, today I am, and, and then I was. I mean, I'm talking about stuff that began 12 years ago. but I was more excited then and yet today about following Jesus, being a Christian, than I've ever been in my life. But at the same time, uh, enduring real pain of people misunderstanding what I was doing, misrepresenting what I was doing leaving the church, being critical, all of that sort of stuff. And plus, you know, I'm not just a preacher, teacher, author, traveler, speaker, writer of books. I'm also the pastor of a church in the sense that there's this local church that, you know, we have bills to pay and mortgage and payroll, and you have to try to keep all... And you feel that pressure. Believe me, you do. And I thought, man, am I just going to lose everything here? And so... Um, I, yeah. I, I wasn't making this – I wasn't going on this journey for the sake of, well, uh, let's just try something novel and fun. Uh, I, was, I mean, a lot of pastors have contacted me and said, Brian, you know, how did you find the courage to do what you did? Because you risked a lot. And I did risk a lot, but I, I ultimately couldn't do otherwise. And you're, you're right, Luke. You're right. I, I could only do this as the founding pastor. There's no doubt about that. If I had simply been a guy that had been hired, I would have been fired.
0: Yeah. Or or maybe
1: the church would have split or something, you know.
0: Yeah. What was this like for
1: your wife as you're going through this process? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, My wife, Perry, and, you know, everybody listening to this podcast will have to just decide how truthful I'm being. But honestly, Perry was just with me every step of the way. Perry, too— is a very um, she's a serious reader i mean i don't know i mean i'm around people that like to read and like the life of the mind and I don't know anybody that reads any more than Perry does.
0: Hmm. She so reads she,
1: serious, she reads widely, and so we it was really a journey we went on together. we were making these discoveries together
0: mm-hmm. and wow. didn't she have the copy of um, Divine Conspiracy by willard and well that, that was, had
1: read it. She just gave it to yeah, you, and that was a big part of your, that your really transformation. That really was a breakthrough for me because, I, Luke, I was – and I think I, I have a, I have a general idea of the kind of person that listens to this podcast. And for our listeners, they need to understand that I was shockingly, embarrassingly ignorant of the good stuff. Hmm. Now, what I had done is I had discovered the church fathers because I didn't know where else to go. So, I, So I was – I was reading Church Fathers and philosophy and uh, good literature, especially Dostoevsky. But I didn't know about, you know, I mean, you just mentioned, you know, uh, you've had Tom Wright on. N.T. Wright would have been, I, I had no idea who that would never have right. heard of me. Walter Bergman, right. never heard of him. And so I was just, all of that whole world of what we would call our best Christian thinking in a contemporary sense, I was, completely oblivious to that world and I needed an access point but I didn't even know and so I prayed one day I just said God show me what to read and I, I was frustrated and I didn't feel anything and I i didn't know what to do but I had the sense I needed to read something contemporary and I and I was just sort of sitting there having just prayed this prayer feeling a little bit despondent and Terry walked in she had no idea I prayed that prayer just walked right up to me. Just walked up to me. I'm sitting there on this couch, and she walks up, and she hands me the book. She says, "Here, I think you should read this." <laughs> <laughs> she hadn't read it, but you know, it was just that. It was that. It was my take and read moment. You know, like Augustine take and read. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, what she gave me was Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy, and that book was like a door being kicked open in my mind. And for whatever reason, it was through that that I am very I mean very quickly, I mean over the next couple of years. Uh I mean if, if I look back on like the years two thousand five and six especially, I can't believe what I read. I mean the the sheer just the sheer volume of what I read. And I would come home, I'd get home from church, I'd get home five or six, and I would go into this little library we have, and I would read till midnight. And I would do that every night. Yeah. I did that every night for a couple of years. And, you know, I worked my way through I mean, I just read I just read everything the N T Rat wrote. I just read all of it. That's... I mean I started with, you know, uh New Testament and the people of God, moved on to Jesus and the Victory of God, and the Resurrection of the Son of God, and all those other littler books. And, yeah. and then I found Brueggemann, and then I found Yoder and Hauerwas, and started reading Barth. and oh, Man, I, I just I just I felt like and it wasn't discipline. It wasn't like I got to make myself do this. It was. You had to do. It. I got to make myself go to bed. But I had I had struck gold, and I couldn't pull it out of the ground fast fast enough. I was like, I kept thinking, "Where have you been all my life?" And um, it, it saved my soul. If you'll understand, I mean, I, I just thought, I never was wavering about is Jesus Lord. I, I believed in Jesus. I had encountered Jesus. Jesus had saved my soul. But but I had become very uh, dejected, despondent, disillusioned. That's the word I was looking for. Very disillusioned with the kind of Christian Christianity that I knew. What I sensed very deeply was that the Jesus that I was so deeply fascinated by warranted and deserved a better Christianity than I was familiar with. And I wasn't finding it in that consumerist kind of word of faith, charisma magazine sort of celebrity um world which what I was in I was like a lesser light I was like a like I was like a D-list <laughs> wow. you know yeah. celebrity in that world of Christian celebrity and so I knew that world and I don't mean to imply that all the people in that world are bad because many of them are not many of them are just fine wonderful people but uh it's a very very thin uh watery uh, Christianity that I just had reached point where it could not sustain me. Yeah. You said and so one, when I began to find the substantive faith, well then my life changed.
0: You said one of the, your specialties back in those days was the idol of certainty.
1: And yeah.
0: You say your cert, a cert, certitude is a poor substitute for faith. And mm-hmm. uh, you've gotten now to the point where you would say that I have no idea how to arrive at real faith without a journey involving doubt. I'm assuming pre-1994, Brian had no doubt involved in his journey. Is that fair to say? Say that last line again. Well, you, your line is, I have no idea how to arrive at real faith without a journey involving doubt. Right. yeah. Before this, I think it was 94, where you go on the fast, you start reading. I'm assuming doubt was not yeah, something. Yeah, 2004, yeah. Yeah, that you were not, uh, you were not comfortable with. That doubt wasn't something right. that w- was involved in uh, your understanding of faith. It was something that's probably pushed aside.
1: Well, I mean, i would had my own struggles with doubt, as every believer does, but I couldn't be honest about them. Hmm. Uh, I had to sort of just uh, pretend that wasn't an issue. Um f- f- faith i mean i mean doubt is only a problem for people who are actually trying to believe not not just settle into a second hand thing that's been delivered to them and they just sort of uh, learn how to parrot a party line but but a real faith cannot exist apart from doubt i think somewhere in the book i i can't quote it right off the top of my head but I referenced Frederick Buechner, which by the way, he was another one of the rich ones that I found. Of course, Frederick Buechner talks about, if there's no room for doubt, there's no room for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the possibility for doubt is the only thing that makes faith authentic. And um, what I also mean by certitude is this sort of this Bible answer approach to the Christian faith. Bible Answer Man, do you have a Bible question and somebody, you know, asks a question and thirty seconds later you give a little pat answer. Mm -hmm. Where it's, where, where well I remember, I remember like in the world of apologetics, um, people would say, people will, will try to critique uh, the Christian faith by critiquing certain claims about the Bible, which certain claims about the Bible and Christianity should not be necessarily confused. But people would say, yeah, you would hear this, one. the Bible's full of contradictions. Yeah. And back then what I would do is I would say, no, it, it, no it's not. Um... And and I would have these little clever ways to try to get around every single apparent contradiction. Well, today if somebody says the Bible is full of contradictions, I say, well, of course it is. Yeah, I know way more than, more contradictions than you do. There are many contradictions. Exactly. Of yeah. There are.
0: Yeah, you know better. Uh, than but they that do. but that
1: is that is not an issue. That is that is not a detriment. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't negate our faith. I mean we understand we have to we come to understand what the role of the Bible is within the Christian faith. I don't think I did a very good job of talking about that part there, but uh yeah, um, no.
0: certitude had to be dealt with in my life, no doubt about it, yeah, okay, so you've got this line that fundamentalism is to Christianity, what patent by the numbers is to art, yeah, great line, so you have this well, kind you, of you know fill in the blank, you know we we know the answer right here, we have the pat answer to give you when this tough question comes up, and yeah, it, it, there's not a lot of beauty in that. There's not a lot of creativity. There's not a lot of life in that. It's just rote memory, and you're just pouring things out whenever they need to be filled into the, the hole, but I, I I like the idea that Christianity is, is more than that. It, it, it's not as uh, nice and neat and pretty sometimes.
1: No, it's not. It's not.
0: One of the, the other things that uh, I, I really liked about the book is your talk on politics, which if anyone... Has followed your career. They know that that's a big part of it, and you've insinuated some here. But uh, you talk about a moment when you realize that you, as a religious leader, are being used by politicians. And you yeah. say that you're on the stage with Dick Cheney at some Republican event, and you go, I'm being used right here. That yeah, have... was
1: September 2004. September 2004. I was yeah so it was you know, um uh, this would have been the second Bush campaign, mm-hmm. and um I was in the green room with the vice president and and I was just increasingly uncomfortable and then we we all go out on the stage and they're playing music and all that, and I look out and there's there's a lot of people there. And, I mean, there's a lot of people at this big rally at the Civic Arena. And I thought, man, half of them are my church. And um, I sat on that platform, and I thought, what am I doing here? I think in the book I use the line, I, I felt like Jesus was saying, Brian, Brian, why are you politicizing me? Yeah. <laughs> it was my Damascus Road moment. Yeah, yeah And yeah. so I, when I was called on to pray, because, you know, I was there. I mean, I realized what I was doing. I was there. To tacitly uh, endorse, or or if not explicitly, endorse uh, George Bush and Dick Cheney for their reelection. And, and, and my issue, I mean, it isn't. It isn't. You know, should Bush been reelected instead of uh, who was running against? Uh, uh, wasn't that Gore, the second one? That was the first one. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, our current Secretary of State, um, Kerry, John Kerry. Yeah. That, my issue for our podcast listeners, I don't want them to think, okay, because the, the worst thing that someone could do is, just, oh, I understand what happened to Brian. He could be a Republican and became a Democrat. No, that's not what happened. That's not at all what happened. I just saw that I needed to disconnect my Christian faith, my allegiance to Jesus from a partisan mm-hmm. politicism. And I saw that I was simply being used; that that they wanted me to be the guy that would bring the little Jesus blessing, Mm -hmm. so that I could commit, so that I could at least tacitly communicate: if if you love Jesus, then vote for the elephants. And I just, I I, and it was like an epiphany; it was Damascus Road. It was, it was, it was like that for me. It was a conversion away from that. And so when it came time for me to pray, I, I went up there to the podium, and I had some—I had a prayer prepared, and I didn't pray it, and I just sort of stood there silently, and I know it was awkward. I know people are like, come on, get on with it. You're just a little preacher boy here. Come on, pray your pray nice little prayer and get out of here. Uh, but I, what I was doing was I was just praying to myself silently, praying to the Lord, silently saying, Lord, forgive me. I, I, I don't know how to get out of this. And... I'm just going to pray a nice prayer and then leave. And so I just prayed the most generic, you know. I don't remember what I prayed, but it was this, it was just generic. Lord bless us. God bless everybody. Isn't God good? Amen. You know, so I don't know what I prayed. Yeah. And and that let, I couldn't get out of there quick enough. And um, yeah, I, I you, couldn't I couldn't get out of there quick enough.
0: My favorite line in the book is to the diminished role of religious adjectives – to the diminished role of the religious adjective in service to the all-important political noun. Yeah. And I like that because the religious world becomes just another way to describe the main thing, which is the politics. And right. Yeah, yeah. So you're pushing back against that. You're pushing back against certainty, and when it comes and, to – And
1: that probably got me as much – that probably caused me as much trouble as anything. Why do you think that? That and my critique of war, which yeah. you know is well documented in *Parable to Mars*. But yeah, yeah. But well, I mean the um, the assumption that, and, and in, the, in the book *In Water to Wine*, I sort of I sort of uh, encapsulate the story of what happened, and it begins with um, pro life issues um, where. where following Roe Wade in 73 then along about 1980, you have the rise of the religious right with Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. And, and there was just this deep naivete as Christians who were not too sophisticated in political matters are brought suddenly into this world and think, okay, uh, Republicans are right on the abortion issue, therefore they're right on everything – so that the Christian position in that religious right world became you are pro-life, meaning anti-abortion. You are pro-war, pro-gun. Uh, you're anti-immigrant. You're, you're anti-assistance for the poor. I mean, it becomes absurd. And um, I'm pro-life. I'm certainly pro-life. I'm pro-life because I'm, I'm, I'm against Abortion. I'm against war. I'm against death penalty. I'm against the proliferation of guns. I'm against making health care unaffordable for millions. That's all for life. But it doesn't line up necessarily with one particular political party, and neither am I interested in that it do so. Uh, I'm I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. I've pledged nothing to elephants or donkeys, Republicans or Democrats. I've pledged everything to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, why do you think if if somebody says, well, you're just a liberal, I say, man, I'm a revolutionary Christian. I'm not, (laughs) that's what I am. Yeah. Why do you think that got
0: more negativity than other changes? Because obviously you changed about certainty, you changed about uh, maybe prayers, less about you getting something and more about you becoming a certain kind of person. Why was the politics slash war the piece that got you the most negativity?
1: I I think it has something to do. With where we ultimately derive our prime identity, America is increasingly polarized politically and energized. I think I think with the with the advent of cable news, that it is that it is literally twenty four seven. Um. That it is forcing people, trying to force people anyway, to identify: Are you a Fox? News Christian? Are you an MSNBC Christian? And if if they don't, I mean, you have people that are going to watch Fox News, I don't know, 15 hours, 20 hours, five hours a week, and then they're going to come hear a 30 minute sermon from their pastor. And if their pastor doesn't confirm everything that, you know, Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity and all the rest are saying, then then they just feel like they are a traitor, that they've betrayed that they're, they're on the other side or something like that. I, I, think, I think we've reached the point where for, for far too many American Christians, political identity is in fact the first identity. That is their supreme identity. And the suggestion that Jesus does not, cannot be conscripted to your particular partisan ideology creates such cognitive dissonance that the only way they can relate to it, other than a contemplative conversion, is simply to lash out in anger because they just can't—they can't handle that dissonance within them. That possibly there isn't a nice lineup of Fox News ideology and Jesus that mm-hmm. you might have to at times choose one or the other, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's a that's that's hard for some people to bear.
0: Yeah. so I've heard that you you lost a large chunk of the members from your church right around this time. Percentage wise, do do you have an idea of what percentage left when you start talking about this? was it was at least half. Yeah, at least half.
1: So, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, as it's more some other new people that come, but yeah, it's more than half. And so that's painful. I mean, I'm I'm not going to say that it's anything other than painful. Now, you know, God is faithful and Time heals wounds, and and those things are true as well. Um, But, I mean, if I was simply going to make a career of the ministry, you know, what you do, Brian, is you just shut up. (laughs) And you just just keep doing, you know, I know how to write sermons. I know how to do that. I know what people want to hear. Write good sermons about stuff they want to hear. Mm-hmm. and just shut up about the rest of this. That that would have been a very, very smart, intelligent career move. I, I also would have lost my soul, mm-hmm. because you can't unknow what you know and be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I would at least like my – I would hope that my critics could say, well, I think Brian's wrong. I think he's mistaken, but I also respect him for being uh, – True to himself and very sincere and 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 trying to seek Jesus. I don't know if they can say that or not. But, uh, well, if, if it makes you feel better. I make my case in the book that that's what I've done.
0: If it makes you feel better, I'll say that about you.
1: Does that help well, thank you.
0: a little bit? Okay. Yeah, but one, you're
1: not one of my critics.
0: <laughs> you don't know that. I actually have a different name that I go by on the internet when I'm writing oh, reviews about oh, you. Yeah. Um, okay, one thing that's awesome. that I would critique you about in the past, which I can't do anymore, is I tried to get more information from you about your teaching on prayer, I wanted to learn more about it. Right. but been able come to one of your, <laughs> your prayer schools, but guess what? That information is finally available in the book, and I was ecstatic. Yeah, yeah. That. I mean, I mean, some of it's in there anyway. Yeah. You were you were evasive in previous interviews. You danced, you ran, you hid, but finally, it's out there for the masses <laughs> who can't make it to scenic Missouri. Yeah,
1: there, there's two chapters on prayer. It started off as one chapter. I thought I'd divide it up. but yeah, there's the Jerusalem Bells chapter and then the Sitting with Jesus chapter. And in all all seriousness, here I've been a pastor for, it'll be 35 years in November, officially. And it's the only thing I've done my entire adult life. Uh, And, you know, here's here's, here's how I evaluate myself. I I think I'm a pretty good preacher, I don't know that I'm a good pastor. I don't know. I, you know, I've struggled with that. Am I a good pastor or not? But this uh-huh. one thing, teaching people to pray. I I, I feel like, ah, uh, I feel like I've been a good pastor in that. And that's something I've been doing the last four or five years with the prayer school and teaching people how to pray. It's. I feel like I've never done a better job pastorally than when I do that. Uh, I love doing it. I'm going to be, I'm going to take a, there's a church out in New York that's going to have me out, and I'm going to take their staff on a retreat and teach them prayer school and then hang out and preach in their weekend services. But uh, I feel like um, that if I've, if I've done anything really worthwhile pastorally, it is the prayer school and teaching people how to pray well.
0: Well, I've had people who have gone to that event who have told me wonderful things about the event. They yeah outstanding it was great and they highly recommend it so that does not surprise me that you feel that way because that's the inside scoop that i've gotten about it
1: yeah and that's so good
0: you you have people across the board who, who like it who've appreciated it and that's one of the things you talk about the book that you've kind of gone from being a very sectarian um, my way is the only right way i need to pray and convert all you other heathen christians right. to mine but now it's you're you're quoting you know our favorite Franciscan priest, Richard Rohr in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have people from all across the spectrum that have become part of your faith. You tell a story about how you went to um, speak to a, a group of, you know, a couple dozen nuns. And that's become a relationship that's continued to this day. And now you have a far more ecumenical faith. And uh, as yeah. who grew, I grew up in, the, and I'm so part of the Churches of Christ. And our tradition tends to be very sectarian as well. And as someone who's gone through a journey that has some commonalities to that, where I find myself being fed and blessed by people from different traditions, I, I love to hear that from someone who started a different place but ends up at the same place as me, who's saying, this isn't just like healthy for the church. It's healthy for my soul. I grow because of these relationships with people from different denominations and tribes.
1: I'm very sincere about that. From my vantage point, and mean, this is only from my vantage but I'm not saying this is- Objectively true, but this is my perception. I speak of about six, let's say six branches of the body of Christ. Orthodox, Catholic, Anglican, mainline, Evangelical, Pentecostal. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I am comfortable with all six. I have, I, I read widely. I read from all six of those streams. Um, and and this, this may strike people as very either naive or hopeful or maybe sort of quaint, but I'm sincere when I say I really think that all six have about the same amount of truth. It's just that each one has – each one seems to be custodians of particular treasures. And the way I see myself now is I have a passport, and I can travel widely. And I, I mean, just two weeks ago, I was hanging out with some Orthodox, um, brethren. And, um, you know, and I, I, I'm close with a lot of Catholics and Sister Paul and Sister Jenny and Audrey and Lynn and Sarah and Rita and all the rest of the Benedictine Sisters of Perpetual Adoration in Clyde, Missouri. I count them among my closest friends. And I read a lot. I mean, and I, I'm a big fan of Pope Francis. I just say rock on Pope Francis. Um, I think he's great. I, I I I could I could I could be Catholic. I could be Orthodox in another lifetime if things had gone a different way for me. I'm not interested in converting. I'm comfortable where I am, but I like hanging out with the Anglicans, and I use an Anglican prayer book every day of my life. Um, uh, I you know I mean, we just had uh, Walter Brueggemann in uh, a few months ago for a conference, and that would, he, he would represent, you know, some of the very best among mainline Protestant thinkers, and I've been more or less among the evangelicals and Pentecostals, charismatic, most of my life, and so that's kind of where I'm from, but, but I just feel so at home, relaxed, at peace, that I can go to a Catholic mass, or I can go to one of those beautiful orc services, or an Anglican gathering, or hang out among mainliners and not feel like I have to judge them, critique them, convert them. I just say I can just delight myself in the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ. And that's a, that's a wonderful place to be if people can arrive there.
0: Yeah, and, and I hope everyone can get there. And I think your book, Water to Wine, is a great resource to show people how that process can work and how you can do that, like you said, without feeling like you need to convert, but to use that as a resource, to use it as a way for you to... Uh, to use your language, to have a passport, to go into different traditions, to see the things that they've valued and they appreciate and the yeah. things that they bring to the larger body of Christ. So, Brian, I, I like the book. I love that you wrote it. I appreciate you doing this. Thank and, you, uh, Buck. It's good to talk to you as always. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Brian, you take care. If you see Eminem, tell him I said hello and uh, <laughs> ask him to come on the podcast, okay? Would you do that for me? All right, great. Awesome. Deal. All right, Brian. Have a good one, man. Okay, Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now
1: adjourned.